Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And we are now entering into week two of what we call First Fruits um, 2021. And this is the time where we're counting down the days between Easter or the resurrection and Pentecost. And it has been um, such a, a surprising experience for me. First of all, I'm not counting the days. <laughs> I can't get around to counting the days. I said last time, oh, I'll count the days on social media. That's not gonna happen. I now see that it's not gonna happen, but I feel really good about counting the weeks. Seven weeks, I could do that, okay. So, but you know, Jay had this idea of just spending the next um, six weeks or whatever, just focusing on the time period that's recorded in the Bible between the resurrection and Pentecost. And there's only about six or seven events recorded, you know, during that time. And I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know why I haven't thought about this before, because this was such a good idea. I think it's because always in the past, we get up to Easter, you know, I've already been doing Lent, you know, for 40 days, and it's 40 days of decrease, which is good. It's sort of a time of dying to yourself and sort of experiencing Jesus's last days and you know, allowing yourself to decrease during that time. But then um, as soon as Easter comes, resurrection comes, it's kind of like I'm off, like, okay, next thing, you know, now we're gonna go. And uh, I don't know, we're gonna start studying the Bible with people and all these people that came out on Easter and all, which is all good. But I think somehow this has slowed me down and helped me to just be able to enjoy this time. I realized I don't think I've ever just marinated in <laughs> or reflected on, that's a better way of saying it, reflected on, the re the resurrection so much and um, I am having a great time so I don't know God has slowed me down and I've been able to read through these stories and one of the things I've been doing is just you know reading it if if you have those Bibles that try to take it in chronological order they don't know if it's exactly perfectly correct but they're trying to list all the gospels together in how they think the events unfolded in that way. But it's interesting to see that, you know, like, okay, so three of the guys mention that the stone was rolled away uh, before they got there, but then Matthew says that the angel rolled away the stone, and then John says there was two angels, but in the other account, you know, it says there was one angel, whatever. It's just been cool to kind of um, put all this information together and allow myself to reflect on it and just think, I wonder what God wonder why he wrote that. I wonder why this was important to John and this wasn't important to Matthew or this was important to Mark. And I know Marty Solomon has all the all the coolest answers to that. You know, Bema, I've listened to, um, I'm in my fifth season of Bema right now, but I can't remember everything that I've learned. Sometimes I go, oh, I think I learned something about that, but I can't remember what it is. I should have taken better notes on that. But anyway, it's been fun to just kind of reflect on my own. So um, this past week, if any of you were able to watch the video, Jay and I did about, we, we focused on the women coming to the grave, finding that the stone had been, um, or you know, actually seeing the angel roll away the stone. And at the end of it, it says that they left there um, afraid yet, filled with joy. And Jay had done this really great study on the word yet. So cool. If you haven't seen that, go back and read it. It's, I mean, go back and watch it. It's really cool. But that led me to just the accounts, all the different accounts of all the women coming to the tomb, which, you know, first of all, I just think it's so cool that it's the women that came to the tomb. 
It's the women that were standing there at the end with Jesus on the cross. And so this has given me a lot of, of things to think about um, in that, you know, I'm a person I can't, I just really hate pain. You all know that. I hate pain for myself, but I can't watch, you know, all the stuff like um, um, when people are being tortured and all, you know, violence. I can't watch all that stuff. You know, I, I, back in the day when 24 was popular, I'd watch 24, but if any of the torture scenes come on, I would be like, la, 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 and I would <laughs> plug up my ears. Oh, those of you listening to podcasts can't see me. I close my eyes, plug up my ears, and then I'd have to say, you know, la, 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 to make sure I couldn't hear any of it because I just couldn't stand the sound of it or whatever. Well, you know, of course, um, Jesus suffered this horrible death, and then we, f- we focus on it every year um, so that we can somehow enter into the suffering of Christ. And uh, there's been, you know, uh, amazing movies that have been made about it. You know, The Passion of the Christ is an amazing work of art, but I just can barely make myself sit through it. You know, I just, I just can't stand it, the violence. Well, and I started thinking about, okay, well, what would I have done if I was alive at that time? Like, if I'm one of the Marys? Well, first of all, if it was my kid, if, it, if, if someone was hurting my Jonathan, my Jacob, one of my sons, I'd be there till the bitter end. You know, I would be there because I would want them to know that I'm there. You know, so my mama bear would be all over that, just having to be there for my son. So then what if, what if it's, what if I'm one of the friends? What if I'm, you know, he's not my son, but you know, I'd want to be there for my mom friend that's having to endure this huge torture of their son. And so I was thinking, man, these women had just gone through watching all of this, the trial, the scourging, the Via Della Rosa, and then him hanging on a cross for six hours. And I just can't even imagine the trauma of watching that alone, just watching it, not experiencing it, not going through it yourself, just watching somebody that you love, your son, be tortured like that. And then yet they probably had just gotten themselves to the point of accepting this just happened. I mean, like, I can't imagine that. I mean, it's three o'clock, they're putting Jesus, you know, in the grave. And it says that they were there with Joseph and Arimathea while he was trying to um, bury him, that they were there. And then they had all of Saturday, so from three o'clock on um, Friday to all night or all until three o'clock on Saturday, that that basically was the Sabbath or until four or five. And then it says that after, at the end of the Sabbath, after the Sabbath, which ends at somewhere around sundown on um, Saturday, they went out and they bought some spices so that they could go back to the tomb the next morning. And so, they get up early before it's even light and they head back to the tomb with their spices to be able to um, just anoint his body. And, you know, thinking about that, then they arrive, it kind of puts me in that space. Well, if you look at John, the account of it in John is actually in John 20, but he's the one that only talks about Mary Magdalene. I don't know why, but it's, it's a very focused account of her experience. So I wanted to just read this together if you have time. It says in, in verse one, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, 
They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb ahead. He bent over and looked in the strip, looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and then saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Now, stop right there in the middle of that, because I started thinking about, you know, how would I be feeling at, at this moment? You know, you finally probably get your mind wrapped around the fact that everything you thought was real was just destroyed. I mean, you know, you had to be standing there at the cross going, I, I, this is the, I, I thought, I really thought he was the Messiah. I know everything he's done for me. I know who he is. How is this happening? And I was thinking about all these times, you know, in life where, you know, you're sort of just watching things, your dreams, you know, be dashed, your, you know, the company that you gave your whole heart to and the project that you're going after just be canceled. I was thinking about all these people that before COVID were just starting up their restaurants, just starting up their companies and think and thinking right as they get started, you know, of course, nobody can even buy their stuff. No one can even come into their businesses and just thinking about what it must have felt like to watch that business fall apart or, you know, the times in, in ministry where you've worked so hard for something and you just watch as it falls apart, you know, as Satan, it's torn apart, you know, and it's, there's no sort of bad guy in the situation. It's like, we're all bad guys. I mean, even in this situation with Jesus, it was like, if the religious leaders had just not been jealous, right? But also if, if the disciples had just not, you know, Judas specifically, but I think a lot of them felt like that. If Judas had just not, you know, had his idea of what this is supposed to look like and pushed it, or if Pilate had just come through when he had the chance and, and done what was right. And if, you know, the Roman empire wasn't so, you know, just entrenched in blood and, you know, power like that. And if the Jewish, you know, community had been looking for um, a more spiritual Messiah, you know, there's just so many, it, so many bad guys, you know, and Satan just getting in there and working his way, just like dividing and devouring and, killing and destroying. You remember that scripture that says he comes to steal and kill and destroy. Just work in his, his dark magic in that situation. And they have to stand by and watch that. You know, their dreams just be crucified in front of them. Now, I know I have been through that where I've just had to watch what I thought, you know, sort of fall apart in front of me. 
But then I also started thinking about how, you know, I, my, my father passed away just a few years ago and uh, I had gotten news that he was, he, he, it was time to come to the hospital. But I was so distraught it, that I, I had asked, is there any way that we can drive there? I'd ask my husband, you know, can we drive there? You know, I just needed that time to, uh, I don't know, mourn um, and be alone and be quiet, be silent. I mean, because we're driving all the way from California to, to Oklahoma. And I felt like I needed that because um, I thought my dad was going to pass any minute. And even if I flew on a plane, it would be all that hurrying. It'd be all hectic. And you get off in a, and I just didn't feel like I could manage it, you know, trying to get the kids to the plane and all of us on there and, you know, pack it up and get everybody on and get there. And, um, you know, for my dad to already have passed anyway. So I decided to, to drive. So as we're driving across the country, um, in that time period, my dad did pass and there was a misunderstanding between me and my sister. And, um, when I got there, I found out that there wasn't going to be a viewing and she had misunderstood something I said and, or I, maybe I, I misspoke probably, who knows, you know, you're in such, um, you know, pain that you don't really know what you're saying and what you're communicating. But I got there and I found out there wasn't going to be a viewing and I just like fell apart, you know, just bawling. Like I have to see him. Like I, I don't know why I knew my dad was gone. You know, my dad is in heaven, right? My dad is, he's passed on, but I wanted to see his body. I just wanted to see him one last time. And God was so good to me. They were able to do it for me. They, they did a private viewing just for me. So sweet. And it was so, it meant so much to me to sit there with my dad for a few hours and just talk to him. You know, even though he wasn't there, he'd passed on. It meant so much for me to be there with his body. And I was thinking that's probably what Mary was feeling was just like, okay, she just got to the point where she accepts this death. And then she gets to the, to the grave and she's like, I can't even see his body, you know? And so, you know, these, so, so she's in so much grief and so much pain that apparently two angels are speaking to her, <laughs> which in our right mind, we think that, okay, that's pretty miraculous. That would be a pretty big thing. She totally just misses it, I guess. And just talks to them like they're people and says, they've taken my Lord away. You know, like she just wants to see the body. And then, so she's talking to these angels as if they're just normal people. She says, I, I, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where, I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turns around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. You know, she's in so much grief. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And I think I can really relate to this, that she's in, you know, when we're in pain, when we're in grief, when we're in fear, when something has taken, when that amygdala in the, you know, the base of our uh, skull has, has been triggered, we're in a panic and we can't hear, it's like a fog, it comes in. We, we can't tell friend from foe. I mean, I've definitely been in a time in my life, um, and I'm sorry to all the friends that have been there with me, where I just couldn't hear what people are saying because I'm in so, I'm in just utter panic mode. Um, 
I could tell this story now because I couldn't tell it for years because it was just, it was too much to talk about. And I was afraid I would scare people away from El Salvador. But there was on one of our earliest trips when we went to El Salvador, we, um, you know, we traveled as a group. There's about 12 of us. And we were there, my um, Jay and I, and I, my, I know JL was there for sure. We might, might have left Jonathan at home this year. I can't remember, but I, maybe he was there. Um, yeah, because I probably kept him, him really close. But, um, and there was a group of us and we had left church and then we went over to eat at a restaurant across from the church. And we all were sitting there just talking, you know, and there was a bunch of disciples that had all joined in after church. And so we're all talking and everything. And then we were gonna go to a disciple's house that lived nearby, which is something that we would do. And we were just gonna take him some groceries and um, get to know him, you know, and just spend some time talking to him. It's this big group of people, you know, like 24 of us are now walking around this little air, this mall. And then we walked down the street. We didn't have to, you know, take the bus because, or our little van, because they just live down the street. So we all leave and we go down to visit disciples and then we come back and I mean, it must've taken 30 to 45 minutes maybe to go and do that. And so then we're all like, let's get on the bus, let's go. And so we get on the bus and everybody's yakking and talking and it's so fun. And all of a sudden I go, where's JL? And it, it took, I wanna say mm, a half a second before I was in full blown panic, just like full blown. I'm, uh, where's JL? You know, I'm in a foreign, I'm in, I'm in El Salvador and my baby blonde haired, blue eyed girl is gone. And I have already gone to the worst place scenario in my mind. It's already done. I'm already there. And I'm just weeping, like tears flowing down my face. The guys have all taken off. They run into the mall where, where we had eaten just to, you know, start retracing the steps. I mean, it's full-blown panic. And I remember standing there just weeping my eyes out. And I remember the people standing around me clearly. It was, I remember Trey and I remember Sandra Landerverde. This is why I remember because Sandra was just going, okay, okay. She was just handing me Starbucks uh, napkins because everybody was out of tissues. And she was going, okay, it's going to be okay. This is when the Land of Ernie's lived there. And she was just trying to calm me down and Trey's like, it's okay. And I am just, I can't think straight, just crying, weeping. And of course, story is that they found her. She was in there. She had just stayed put like a good, good, wonderful jail that she is. She had just stayed put there. Of course, she was crying and she had already figured out that she was going to have to learn Spanish and, and work there and stay there because she didn't know where to go. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Now we laugh and now we have a buddy system and no one gets lost, but um, it was terrifying. And I was just thinking about how, you know, when we are in that kind of uh, panic, fear, um, grief, loss, you know, we can't even tell who's speaking to us. Jesus is speaking to her and she can't even tell who he is. And I think that's just such a lesson for all of us to remember, you know, when people are responding in grief, it's not, it's, it's just, it's almost like a physiological response that they're having. It's not, we can't take it personally. Um, you know, we have to remember that grief has to do its, its work. But anyway, that's just, I was thinking I could really relate to that. Okay. So let's read on here. She can't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. 
she's offering to go get the body, which I find is humorous almost. But she says, um, after that, Jesus said to her, this is verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, or however you say that, Rabboni, which means teacher. And I, this is such a moment because, you know, Jesus uses her name. And, you know, I don't know if you've been watching The, um, the Chosen, but I love that. It is so good. You've got to watch it. But um, in The Chosen, it's, it's about Jesus, but it's really from the point of view of his disciples or the people that meet him, the, the followers of him, which I just, I cannot believe how amazing it is. I, I cry at every episode. But um, this story of Mary Magdalene, they choose to, um, they show her past. Um, so they're, they're trying to give backstories to all these people that follow Jesus. And in her past, they show that she was raised um, in a God-fearing family, a Jewish family that raises her well, but then somewhere along the way, um, she, is, she goes through some tragedies and gets off course, and she starts being called Lilith. She changes her name, her name is changed. And so when Jesus heals her, he actually calls her Mary. And it's sort of this big moment. And I don't know if they got that idea for the backstory, from actually this story, but I just started thinking about how, you know, this is how Jesus is, is that he is able to cut through to who we actually are. The created person being able to communicate with their creator. You know, he gets down to that deep level that no one else can. You know, all the people that we've been in our past, now, you know, of course I have this past where I, I can go back in, and think about my past and think, who was I when I knew this person? And who was I when I knew that person? And that person, I was such a, I was so confused about my identity and so confused about who I was. And was I being, you know, at, at, by the time I graduated high school, I had been like three or four different people, you know, that was in this clique and that was in that clique and that was in that clique. I couldn't figure out who I was. And, you know, Jesus was able to cut through all of that and go, I know who you are. I know who you were when you were five. Remember when we had that relationship when you were really little, before all this stuff happened to you, before you did all this stuff, you know, before you were sinned against and before you started defending yourself and trying to keep people out and self-protecting and all of that, I know who you are. And he calls her by her name. And then something in her, you know, I, I don't know why it says that, that, that she answers him in Aramaic, and because like, did they not speak Aramaic all the time? Like, why does John say that? Some of you probably know the answer to this. You can, you can tell me. But is it because that's her native language and she sort of just cries out in that native language? Kind of like, you know, when you, when people who are Spanish speakers, they, you know, they want to pray. Can I pray in Spanish? Like, can I pray in Spanish? Because they feel like they can't communicate their heart to God unless they're speaking in their native language, you know. Um, they can they can speak English, obviously, they can communicate, but that deepest part of them, they're like, can I, can, can, I, can I pray in my native tongue? And I wonder if it has something to do with her connecting with Jesus. But the thing I've just been going over and over and over in my mind is about how Jesus is able to cut through, you know, where people can't. You know, when I've been in my most um, panicked states and gone through my hardest times, People can be there for you and it's beautiful, but they can't cut through to that deepest part of you and really get your wound, 
Like, where is that deep part of your heart? But that's what Jesus is able to do in this situation. And it just speaks to me in that way, where, you know, if we can get ourselves to, to calm that part, and I'm gonna talk about some tools that you can use to do that, Jesus will be there to be able to guide you and you'll be able to reconnect with him. And he is the one that can help you, um, even when others can't, because they're only human after all. You know, <laughs> I feel so badly for the way I've put pressure on people around me to, you know, have an answer for me. Like, I really feel like I, for most of my life, I just thought somebody around me is going to have the answer for my problems. <laughs> somebody around me is going to be able to tell me, why is this happening? And where did you go wrong? Just tell me where I went wrong so that I can go back and fix that. Or what's wrong with this person? Or what's wrong with the situation? Or what, what happened here? You know what? They're only human. They're, you know, they're not God. So I think, you know, I, I feel badly that for all the people that I pressured in that way, but you know, it's been so good to just release people from that duty or that burden of having to figure out what's, figure out my problems. They probably had to figure out their problems, much less mine. Although I think it might be a little easier to look at other people's problems than your own, but you know, just letting go and going, God is probably the only one that's going to be able to get this deeper part of me. He made me. So he knows why I'm so you know messed up in this area, or he knows why this pocket of life just confuses me, or he knows why um, I think the things that I think. He's the only one that really knows because he's my maker. And then it's interesting what he tells her after this. It says, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. You know, she must have grabbed onto him. I'm thinking, I would have. <laughs> I would have grabbed him. I would have been hugging him. I would have been bowing before him or something or at his feet and hugging his feet, I think is what I probably would have been doing. But he says, no, don't, don't hang on to me. He says, go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to the Father and your Father to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had said, that he had said these things to her. And I think about this, about how he had to tell her, don't cling on to me, don't hold on to me. And another, another translation says, don't cling on to me. And I think this is so um, important because, you know, she missed him. <laughs> she missed his presence. She um, she wanted the comfort of her Savior with her. She wanted the comfort of Jesus with her. And we can understand this. You know, it's that whole feeling of like, I know God is my husband, but I really enjoy having a husband I could touch. Or, you know, for those that are that are dating, you think, you know, I know that God is my boyfriend, but I would really love to have a living, breathing one on this earth because we just love that presence that physical presence with us or or even things that you know people that have given us comfort you know we we she looked at Jesus had changed her life Jesus had completely changed her life <laughs> he had saved her and i think we have things like this we have people like this we have people that that we just you know we are security to us they feel so secure they make us feel secure when we're in their presence they speak and we're comforted and then, you know, sometimes they have to move away or they're called into another ministry or they go or maybe they, they pass on. And we just want to feel them again. We just want to hold them again. We want to be near them or, or possibly a ministry that has changed our life or um, a, a, a certain 
some program or something that we went through that really meant a lot to us change our life and it's it's gone it's not there anymore it's like it's so dissettling to something that we had put our hope in or some somebody or something that we had been clinging on to is now gone and we know in our head that Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's going to be better for you. My, my physical presence is good, but something, the spirit is going to be better because I'm going to live inside of you. Like he knows that's what's coming, but she's clinging on to what she knows. You know, I could totally do that. You know, even in the present moment of my life, I'm in the moment of there's a lot ahead of me, like new things, a new way even to do church. You know, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same in the future. You know, we have to grow. We have to change. This isn't the, the same church of 1990. This is the, you know, 2020. We got to figure out how do we move into that new decade? You know, how are we, how are we doing this? And that's all new. And I think it's going to be awesome because God proves that new is awesome. And like Eva here, Jesus knew this is going to be better for you to have the spirit. But I still keep clinging on to the old that I know and the things that help me. You know, I would have to go, no, 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 don't cling on to the past. You know, know that God has good things in the future for you. There's just so much to this story. I've just been, you know, immersing myself in. I encourage you to do the same. But I was starting to think about, you know, here's the practical side of it. I've been rambling on a long time. This is a long video. I guess these are going to be long videos this time because the last one was long too. I usually do really short ones. But um, I've been, uh, over the past year, really just working so slowly through this book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. And it's the um, Lisa Turker's book. And it has just been helping me so much. And she talks about this concept that... You know, in, in this particular book, she's talking about forgiveness. And what can happen is when something happens to you and you forgive, she talks about how forgiveness is a decision, but it's also a process. But what, because what can happen is you make this decision, you're going to forgive, right? And it's good. You do do it. You do make that decision, but yet in, you know, six, six months later, or it could, actually could be six minutes later or six years later, you know, it sort of comes up again and all your feelings are stirred up. Something gets triggered inside of you and it's like it's happening all over again. And so then you could think, what did I not forgive? You know, like what's wrong with me? Am I not doing this? And she says, no, you, you can, you can forgive this initial offense, but then you, God takes you deeper in that you're, you're going to have to go through a process of forgiving the, um, the impact that that's had on your life. Because something that happened in your life at that moment triggers that feeling in and you're like, oh yeah. And you kind of have to go back and re-surrender it. Re, it's, it's, it doesn't take away. You're not like a forgiveness failure. I love that she says that because that's me, of course. I'll think I'm failing at forgiveness. It's just, it's an opportunity to go deeper, it's actually, you're not regressing, you're progressing, but it hurts again. And so she gives these very practical things that you can do in those moments when you're triggered again. Um, and it's really helped me, so I just wanna pass them on to you. So this is not me, this is me learning from Lisa Turkhurst, but it really has been helpful for, to me. First of all, she talks about how, um, and some of this is just, it's, it's brain science that you kind of already know, so it's a good reminder. Um, but 
you know, when you are having, uh, when you're getting triggered, it's actually a physiolog physiological response. It's not like you're having a, a spiritual failure. It's it's gonna happen. It's a, your body is responding. So the amygdala gets triggered and it takes 20 minutes for it to calm down again. Now, I already know this because I'm raising these, you know, kids um, from trauma. And I've learned this through the brain science, through going to therapy, that it takes about 20 minutes for your amygdala to calm down. If you will consciously um, address it, if you will consciously address it. So the very first step when you get triggered is actually to acknowledge what's happening, to look, to recognize it, to go, oh, oh my gosh, okay, my shoulders just went up, my heart is beating, I'm, my breathing has become shallow, I'm um, instantaneous, like my, my physiological um, uh, triggers, you know, or um, what was I trying to say, the things that, um, the signs, the physiological signs are shortness of breath, um, you're tense, that maybe you're clenching your fists or your um, shoulders are going up or you're, you're breathing, you use shallow, you can't get a deep breath or whatever. Just acknowledge that and go, okay, wait a second. Okay, I know what's happening. <laughs> I'm not falling apart. I know what's happening. I am experiencing my amygdala being triggered, right? So this is during this time, you acknowledge it and you don't make big decisions. This is not when you make a big decision. You don't go to your phone. You don't post anything. You don't respond to an email. You don't do anything <laughs> that's gonna last longer than that 20 minutes. So you just allow yourself to be triggered, okay? Then step two is change something. Change your environment if you can. She talks about how it helps her to go outside. I am exactly the same. If I can get outside and I can see uh, either the blue sky, the trees, if I can hear the birds, if I can feel the cool breeze on my skin, if I change my environment, something happens to me where I remember God. I go, okay, yeah, no, wait, 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 wait. God is big, God is good. God created everything I can see. Um, it's the beauty of the earth, the glory of the skies. He's bigger than this problem. And if I'm stuck in my house, then I'm looking over like, who left their shoes there? <laughs> you know, like, like some stupid things, you know, now I'm worried about who's leaving those cabinets open and who left the bread out over here? Am I the only one that could put that bread away? You know, I'm sorry, this is not good. You could tell you're going down when that happens. And I'm getting triggered by all this stuff in my house. If I could just get out for a minute and get some fresh air. Um, that actually helps me. Another thing you can do is you can put on a worship song. Um, and I'm not talking about just having background worship music going on in your house, that's different. When you put on uh, something uh, that's gonna return you to peace and you're gonna look at the words going by on your phone or you know, you're gonna um, get on your knees and you're gonna really pray the words, the lyrics, whatever. You know, those Maverick songs, they're gonna, Maverick music, those last about 10 minutes, or Bethel is usually a 10 minute song. And that's a really great process to allow yourself to go through that. You know, just something to change, to get you into a better space and know it's gonna take about 20 minutes. Uh, something interesting that she taught me is that four ounces of water, if you drink four ounces of water, it calms you. I had no idea, who knew this? How did I get to be so old and not know that? Um, but those are things that you can do to sort of, you know, get yourself back. You could also do the breathing exercises. We've talked about those. Breath prayer. If you need to go back through the practices that we learned in um, 
um, when did we do that? At Christmas time? Yeah, during Advent season. So you could go back and some of those, but some of the breathing techniques, it'll bring your amygdala back down so that your, your prefrontal cortex can go back into action. I feel like that's what Jesus did with Mary. He called her name and all of a sudden she could think again, you know, and so we're trying to get that, we're trying to get back to hearing God, hearing Jesus call your name, Tracy. It's gonna be okay. I do a lot of manual journaling. If you don't know what that is, you can go back to Advent, but that's God talking to me and he uses my name and it really does change me. So that's step two. And then um, step three is just give yourself a lot of grace. Because, you know, she talks about how you can have a bad, you can have a bad 20 minutes, you can have a bad day, you can have a bad year even. That doesn't mean you have a bad life, okay? It can be a season that you're going through. It's not your whole life. Have some grace on yourself. It might even just be a pocket of your life, a pocket of your heart. And I think that that is a really good thing to remember too. Like, you can have a lot of areas in your life that are going well, even though you still have this pocket that you're working through something. And something that really, I'll just end with this, that helps me is I try to think about what are the three things that Satan comes to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. So I know if I'm feeling, if I'm going towards that where somebody has taken my joy or stolen my peace or, you know, how it feels that way where, you know, I've been robbed. <laughs> I'm being robbed of my peace and my serenity and my joy and my love and all of that. Or if I feel like um, I'm, you know, just dying inside, I'm going dark, <laughs> going dark now, you know, um, not dying to myself, not not the good kind of self-denial, but just dying. Um, or if I feel like, you know, I'm just watching something be destroyed. I know that I'm, I'm going the way of Satan, you know, <laughs> I'm going to the dark side. But, you know, God comes with all the re-words, you know, if, I, if I'm being restored, if I realize that, you know, um, God is going to, rest he's restoring my hope, he's restoring my faith, he's bringing me back to that, or if I'm being reborn or, um, renewed in some way. When I'm looking at, it's the difference between you're saying you're falling apart or God is tearing something down so he can build something new, something better. When I remember that, it's God that's taking me apart. Yeah, sometimes he, it's a time to tear down and a time to rebuild. Sometimes he's gonna take things apart so that he can build them back together. But that's from a positive point of view. I'm being rebuilt, I'm being renewed, I'm being reborn. Um, or if I'm being redeemed, if God is taking an aching part of my heart, he's taking that part that was yucky and he's making it something good, that I'm being redeemed, that I know that I've, I'm coming out the other side. And um, you want to keep going until we're moving away from the D's, the destruction, the destroying, all that. And we're moving to the Re's, all the, you know, the returning, the re redeeming, you know, renewing, re all of those. Those are all good words. The re-words are the good words. Um, so those are just some practicals that you can do when you find yourself in that moment. When you find yourself with Mary, like you can't think straight, you can't hear, you can't tell friend from foe, people that have been your friends forever trying to tell you something, you're like, can't even listen to them. When you're in one of those states, remember that you can take it, you can take it to God, you can go to Jesus and hear him speak your name 
and pull you into a new place. And I hope this helps you for week two of, you know, walking in the spirit, um, the 50 days in the spirit, and I will see you probably 